from across the globe, from the centre of aerospace, and now to you. Thank you for downloading the Aero Society podcast from the Royal Aeronautical Society. Well, good evening and thank you for the kind introduction. That is the uh, commercial element out of the way. <laughs> for me, it's certainly a great honour to deliver the annual Brabison Lecture here in London. Despite nearly a decade in Abu Dhabi leading the airline, I've in fact had a home here for the last 25 years in the UK. So in many ways, I guess I could count myself a little bit English, except when it comes to rugby and cricket, <laughs> especially rugby at the moment. But rugby aside, Britain has been a very important part of my life and of my working life in particular. I was lucky enough to spend some of my working years with one of the great challenger brands of British aviation, BMI, British Midland, at a time when it sought to bring new competition to international markets, originally during the 90s, as it expanded its European flights, and latterly, as it moved to long-haul markets. BMI was a company in which the desire to challenge the established order ran through the DNA of the business. At Donington Hall, you could hear the mantra as you walked through the corridors of compete, compete, compete. But it faced challenges at every stage from entrenched interest across Europe and on both sides of the Atlantic. And as a small independent carrier, it ultimately could not overcome those challenges alone. And those challenges came to mind as I was preparing for the lecture. It's a tough audience. It's not a commercial airline audience. And I felt it struck me that when we look at our industry in which there is constant change, there is so much from what I encountered in the past that is relevant today. Our industry is an industry which can be fiercely competitive, but one in which the interest of protectionism are again and again able to block real competitive choice. It's an industry which seems to have welcomed new competition over the last decade, but one in which the global mega carrier has gone from strength to strength to dominate their key markets. And of course, it's an industry which exists only because of constant innovation in aircraft design, in engine technology, in environmental improvements, but one in which new approaches to commercial and business operations are, atta are, are attacked. Above all, it is an industry which cries out for new competition across many different markets, but it is one of which smaller operators can only operate in niche environments. The cost of entry today into global aviation is massive. Finally, this is an industry that even when it is doing well, with record profits and solid growth, is one which is never far from turbulence. So tonight, I'd like to investigate some of those issues in some more detail. I'd like to start by giving my perspective on where the industry is today. The global financial crisis, sadly, just one of the long run of major challenges to this industry. But the last few years have been, in one way, 
seeing record growth and record profits. And that's rare for an industry that's rarely seen record profits. And I'd like to look at the reasons behind that. It is an industry still facing challenges. And I'd like to look at what those challenges are. And then I'd like to dig into the concept of new approaches in an industry so dominated by legacy, legacy carriers, legacy systems, and more. Importantly, legacy mindsets. Despite the regional success stories of Ryanair and EasyJet in Europe, or Asia in the Far East, you can make the argument that global aviation, well, quite frankly, it's about the long-haul network carriers. We've seen the arrival of only a handful of new competitive choices in the last two decades. And I'd like to consider why that is and use my own experience at Etihad Airways to investigate some of the challenges behind that situation. In summary, I believe we are coming to a crunch point in global aviation. The industry, structurally, is not fit for purpose. If that purpose is to provide competitive choices to the world's travellers, then things certainly need to change. Today, battles are being fought which have the potential to shape the industry for decades to come. And all we need to consider what we want that shape to be. So let me look at the industry today. In many ways, as airline executives, we should feel good about ourselves. This industry is expected to deliver 29 billion in profits in 2015, up from 16.4 billion last year. Overall load factors are expected to hit record high of 80.2% for the year. One could say things have never been so good. A major factor behind that improvement has been the restructuring undertaken across the industry since the tragic events of 9-11, with a second wave of financial improvements since the global financial crisis. Add in the growth of trade and tourism that comes with improving global economic performance and the surprise boost of low fuel, low oil prices, well, maybe we are looking good. But the cynics could look behind those numbers and raise some different questions. 29 billion US equals a margin of around 4%. Quite frankly, when you look at the capital, not that stunning. And one company outside of our sector, Apple, has already delivered 42 billion in net income for its first three quarters in 2015. That's not an industry doing better than ours, but a single company. Then look where the industry's profits are coming from. More than half of that profit will come from airlines based in North America, where each passenger will deliver almost twice as much net profit as in the next performing region, the Middle East. The US carriers which drive much of that profit should be applauded. They quite rightly pointed their financial restructuring over the last 15 years, and this coupled with the consolidation of airlines into mega carriers which can exploit benefits and economies of scale have clearly made a difference. The 115 billion of government support over the last 15 years might also have had something to do with it, but I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But what the US carriers really benefit from is a massive market in which they can operate freely with no restrictions on capacity thanks to their huge domestic market and the far-sighted US policy of encouraging open skies. 
That's the real catalyst which, when added to scale, makes things really take off. The rest of the world, the inherent restrictions in our market model are a severe break on profitability and on growth. So let's look at some of those challenges. First and most important, this is an industry which requires scale, particularly for network carriers. More than ever before, scale is the single defining factor behind success for a network carrier. Scale means a network which can compete against the networks of legacy carriers built up over decades. Scale means the ability to reach consumers with a brand promise across many different markets, profile and visibility that will deliver custom. And scale means the ability to strip down cost to competitive levels through economies of scale throughout operations. That means this is an industry which requires a massive cost of entry to compete. Second, it is an industry which requires literally a license to operate. That means the basics, which means safety and commercial certifications we require in the markets in which we operate. Safety is an absolute focus for all of us. This is the one area where I'm sure I speak for the entire industry in saying we welcome the focus and we welcome this oversight. The success of this industry in delivering incredibly safe travel options should never lead to any of us taking that safety is for granted. But the area where license to operate does become challenging is in the bilateral system of flight rights. The industry has seen some positive changes over the years. With US Open Skies, for example, and some move to more liberal views. But the reality is that for many nations, air travel rights are a blunt weapon of economic force that limits competition and stifles customer choice. In particular, that limits the normal forces of business consolidation that every industry is impacted by. M&A is a force for changing companies, bringing in new efficiency and new ways of doing things. Air travel sits alone in being unable to receive those benefits as cross-border mergers are effectively disallowed. The third major challenge is the entrenched interest of the legacy carriers. Now, I don't include all legacy carriers in, in this statement, and I certainly have no problem with anyone that competes fairly to protect their own position. We don't begrudge the fact that many of our competitors have decades of government support, billions of dollars of gifted infrastructure, in airport terminals, in lounges, in office buildings, and so on, as foundations for their growth. We don't even begrudge the billions of dollars or other government support that these carriers receive even now. But we were surprised when the three big US carriers attacked Etihad Airways for receiving significant equity investment and shareholder loans from our shareholder. As I pointed out, this is an industry which requires massive capital investment as a cost of entry. But that surprise turned to concern when our study showed that in the same time period, those three carriers had received almost 100 billion US more in government support in their own market. Where we have a real problem is when these entrenched carriers use their dominant positions to stamp out real competition. Quite frankly, that is what the US carriers campaign is about. 
They are trying to stop new competition of the Gulf carriers as it takes customs away from their alliance partners. It is what the Lufthansa campaign is in about Germany. Lufthansa is pressurising authorities to remove the legitimate co-chairs which have been operated by Air Berlin and Etihad Airways since 2012. It is trying to stop new competition, which is taking customers away from its alliance partners. There is no other market in the world in which regulatory system favours the old guard as much and in which the old guard does whatever it can to shield itself from new competition. The only people that suffer in this environment are travellers through limited choice, higher fares and poorer service. Basically, through lack of competition. So, what can be done to address these challenges? The obvious answer would be to complete an overhaul of a regulatory system that was basically set in 1946. The provisions in years since had offered some changes, but their enhancements to a model that was created before the jumbo jet, never mind an Airbus A380 or the Dreamliner. So in the absence of the obvious answer, businesses do what businesses do. They innovate. British Airways created IAG, and starts to create some effective consolidation. Air France and KLM create a new model which brings the scale they need to compete. Businesses start to look at new ways of developing strategies to cope with these challenges. At Etihad Airways, we find ourselves in a unique position. We believe we are the youngest significant network carrier in the skies today. We launched decades later than most of our major competitors. And we launched into a market in which two of our neighbouring airlines are the most successful and competitive airlines in the industry. We had nothing when we started but an ambitious investor and a blank sheet of paper. We use that blank sheet of paper to our advantage. Our mantra within Etihad Airways is never, how has it been always been done, but how can we do it better? And over the time, it's been very important to us that we discount the focus of legacy carriers and legacy mindsets. We've been backed in that endeavour by a supportive but a demanding shareholder. When I say supportive, because they invested. They invested in success. Since that time of our start, we've certainly expanded worldwide. They've seen returns. They've seen returns in the impact we're having on travel and tourism. They're demanding because those returns are crucial. Our shareholders set the management team a strict commercial mandate in 2008 with a clear timeline for profitability. Some could argue they had no reason. Few, if any, national carriers had ever achieved break-even within their first decade. But our shareholders knew that they would need to invest based on the back of a strong campaign to build a strong business to achieve the commercial return they were seeking long-term. So we've delivered. Last year, we delivered our fourth year of net profitability, and we aim to do the same in 2015. Our cost are benchmarked in the lowest quartile of international carriers, and we focus on clear commercial KPIs in every part of our business. We've just not delivered profitability, we've delivered value. The infrastructure, 
the business units and the businesses that we have now, that we have created are now valuable assets in their own rights. From our property, to our IT systems, to our frequent flyer programs, to our cargo unit, to our engineering business, each operates commercially and each has certainly created value. With that commercial mandate, we also had to innovate. That's because for Etihad Airways to achieve its goals, we needed to find scale. Partly, we got there through industry-leading organic growth in each of our 12 years, but we needed more. We tried the alliances, but they simply told us to go away. We were too small, we didn't matter. At that point in time, their focus wasn't in the region. So we created our own model. We embraced co-chairing with scores of airlines, 50 at the latest count. But then we went a step further. Our minority equity investments in carriers in key strategic markets where we were bilaterally blocked from expanding. On one hand, it allowed us to work more closely on both sides of the network and the business equation. On the revenue side, that means integrating networks to improve one-stop connectivity across the globe. It means aligning product so that a core quality base has a flourish of local style on top. And it means frequent flyer programs that offer a real alternative. On the cost side, that means shared training, staff development, within IT, joint procurement, from everything from aircraft down to uniform, from training simulators, nothing sacred. And it means creating centers of excellence, finding the best practice across the group and then sharing it amongst the airlines. For us, the results have been impressive. Code share and equity partner revenues have grown to more than 1 billion US dollars a year, now accounting for more than 25% of our passenger revenues. And those are revenues that go both ways. We also deliver hundreds of millions of dollars of revenues to our partners. We earn those revenues because we're able to offer competitive choice globally on our own, not through an alliance. We can certainly never hope to reach the network of the alliances, but with our partners, we do in fact reach more than 330 destinations and operate over 700 aircraft carrying 110 million passengers. By any standards in aviation, it's a new model, but a successful model. Revenues up, costs down. And certainly we're being seen as a disruptor by the legacy carriers offering new choice in a market which seems stuck with the old legacy options. And quite frankly, that's where the battles are coming. In March, the big three US carriers launched a campaign against the Gulf carriers. They were closely followed by Lufthansa in Europe, agitating in Germany and in the European Commission. The cry went up that Etihad and the other Gulf carriers must be stopped. Back in Abu Dhabi, we asked the question, stop from what? We operate competitively, bringing choice to consumers around the world. We receive no subsidies or free kicks. Indeed, we operate to a tighter commercial mandate than many of our competitors. We've used innovation to create new models of competition we could never achieve with other partners. 
with alliance partners. We've created partnerships to achieve scale. We've acted smarter with the bilateral process to get around the obstacles of entry into market. Our biggest crime has been seen to be, su be successful. We've created attractive products, attractive networks that appeal to our customers and we've grown. In many cases, that growth has had a beneficial effect. Just like British Midlands entry into the UK's trunk routes back in the late 70s, derided at the time as a corrosive force on the UK travel industry, yes, BA lost market share, but the size of the cake grew so that everyone benefited. Our major route studies show that we do cause competitors to lose market share. But in many, many cases, the stimulus of that market from new competition means their travellers, in absolute terms, grow. Currently, the US carriers are investing tens of millions of dollars to attempt to stifle competition. Lufthansa has pushed German regulators again and again to cut our code shares with Air Berlin. And quite frankly, the customer is the victim. The cost is innovation. The way for aviation to flourish is through innovation. Innovation creates new ways of getting through the obstacles of a regulated, shackled industry. Here in London, you have many of the great aviation innovators on your doorstep. What BA is doing today with Woolly Walsh and what EasyJet and Ryanair have done over the past 15 years, and yes, what BMI did for much of its life. The industry needs to encourage the innovation for the benefits it brings to customer choice and to real competition. Air travel is the lifeblood of the modern economy. But while the modern globalised economy has seen trade and tourism jump forward in leaps and bounds, the structure of our industry has shuffled forward only a few tiny steps. New approaches will help the industry flourish into the future. We should not allow those new approaches to be stamped out by the entrenched interest of legacy carriers. I've had a unique opportunity to create an airline from scratch. When we started, we had no offices, no training centres. We built a culture of 140 different nationalities, a workforce of 24,000 people to create a brand, a global brand that maybe six, seven years ago you may never heard of. Innovation is the key to success. What's interesting in sitting in the audience tonight and listening to the awards, those awards, the medals also reflect innovation. And that's the lifeblood of any sector. It's certainly been a pleasure to be here with you this evening to talk about commercial aviation and thank you for your attention. From across the globe, from the centre of aerospace, and now to you. Thank you for downloading. Visit www.aerosociety.com to download more from this series and other multimedia content from the Royal Aeronautical Society. If you enjoyed this content, please consider showing your support for the Society. Share a link to this presentation by email or on your favourite social networks. If you have an interest in aerospace, consider the professional and personal benefits of membership. 
visit www.aerosociety.com. This content is provided subject to our website and digital media terms of use. Please visit www.aerosociety.com for more information.